0: All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. If you don't have your Bibles, the uh, words to Psalm 27 in its entirety are provided for you in your bulletin. Uh, So whichever way uh, you get into it, uh, Psalm 27 this morning is where we are going to be. But before we get into Psalm 27, it is appropriate... Uh, fitting even necessary for us to go before the Lord and ask his mercy his hand to be upon us as we open up his word so let's do this Lord we open your word Um, you are only a holy God and so we open your word uh, to be um, cared for by your word to be um, addressed, to be comforted, to even be convicted by your word. Uh, Lord, would you show us how we can hope in you with a reality and on the level by which this would influence how we understand our circumstances around us, even the hardships that we experience at the hands of other people. Lord, help us to do this. Help us to do this by setting our eyes upon your word and showing us how your word addresses our hearts, and ultimately how our hearts find their hope in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to begin with a little bit of a confession. Uh, that's always how you want your pastor to begin a service, right? It's about to get real uncomfortable real quick. Um, I'm just kidding. This is kind of a lighthearted one. I love reality TV, uh, uh, reality TV shows. Not, not all of them, not a lot of them, kind of the competition uh, versions of ones. So I love, like, Survivor, The Amazing Race. Um, The other one's like, I'm I'm not, I've never watched an episode of, like, Real Housewives of anything, and I don't really care to. Uh, Judgment-free zone, if that's your thing, I don't know enough about it to say one way or another, but whatever. Um, But um, one competition reality show that uh, I I particularly have enjoyed in my life uh, is a, a show, it's old, it's about 20 years old, it's called The Mole. Uh, I don't know if any of you remember this. Uh, You might be familiar with who Anderson Cooper is on CNN. But about 20 years ago, Anderson Cooper hosted it before he became uh, Anderson Cooper of more wide acclaim and uh, uh, of fame. Now, The Mole uh, is one that Amanda and I are actually watching right now. And that ought to get, there's another confession there, uh, how quick the McDonald's are on taking on new shows and movies and everything. We're about 20 years behind. Um, So... uh, we, we, uh, anything in the last 20 years, don't tell us about it or you'll spoil it for us. Um, but anyway, on, on the mole, on, on the season that we're watching right now, uh, it, it's about, let me give you the context of the show first. It's a, it's a group of people who are trying to accomplish various tasks. Uh, and th- for all the tasks that they accomplish, they get money in the pot uh, that a winner is going to take home at the end of the season. Now, there's one person who is a mole who is trying to derail or subtly uh, cause them to not uh, accomplish these tasks, and so that person's trying to hinder it, and whoever the mole is, people are trying to figure that out while also trying to make all the money they can, and that's how it all works. Now, on an episode that we watched this week, uh, everybody had been keeping notes about all their fellow contestants in journals that they were given, and then about four or five episodes in, Anderson Cooper made them switch journals with other people in the group. And so then you were given the journal of, Uh, others that you'd been playing a game against, even others that had been frustrating you or driving you crazy or who you maybe just didn't have very nice things to write about them in your journal. So let me ask you this question. All that said, whether you're a fan of reality TV or The Mole or anything like that at all, what would those around you, maybe those in your home, maybe those at work, maybe those in your dorm, maybe those in your neighborhood, Whoever it is, if they were given access to a journal that revealed your deepest thoughts about how things were going with them, what might they find? Probably be some awkward conversations. Or maybe there wouldn't be awkward conversations. Maybe a lot of awkward silence uh, around the house for the next few days. The truth of the matter is relationships are difficult, life is difficult. At times, we can feel like everything, uh, that, that, that the world is out against us. And when I say the world, I mean particularly people. I read today that the, that the counseling and therapy enterprise in America is over, uh, over $20 billion enterprise. And I don't say that to not counseling or therapy. It, it, it is good and it helps people. But a lot of counseling and therapy is needed because of ways in which people have hurt other people even those who are very near and dear to us. So how do we watch, how do we change, how do we address our hearts, the innermost thoughts that we would write down if we thought no one else would see them when those other people are the ones that are hurting us? Well, Psalm 27 helps us to figure this out. I'm going to read it. Follow along as I read. David wrote this. I think he was King David at this point. A little older, a little advanced in years, a little more mature in in, in his faith, and a little more confident in God. And he writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of, my, of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. May God write the truths of His Word upon our hearts this morning. My aim for us this morning is to present to us a picture of hope in our God who reigns over us and who cares deeply for us on a level in which it is not just out there, but it is in here that we may hope in Him even when we are hurting because of circumstances and people around us. May we hope in Him even when we are hurting because of people around us. So first, let's get into David's shoes here. Now, David's circumstances, his his position is a little different than ours today. It is likely that at this time, David was the king of Israel. And so he carried a variety of responsibilities there, one of which was the national protection of the people, another of which was caring for and and at least having his pulse upon their spiritual condition, Another of which was, of course, managing things like, like, like economies and, 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 and hoping to guide the people through natural disasters and the rises and the, flow and, and the falls of all sorts of calamities and, and, and blessings that can come upon a nation and a people. And so I don't think any of us have ever been in a position where we have been a king over a group of people. But perhaps you have been in that position where maybe David, surrounded by people but feeling lonely, Maybe you've been in that position where you felt like you could resonate with David, where he said things like, evildoers are surrounding me. And I have adversaries and foes who wish to eat up my flesh. You may not have been in the same circumstances as David, but I imagine all of us have have had times where we felt like the cries of our hearts did resonate with David so we're going to see how we can learn from his perspective and then seek to apply this perspective to ourselves in a prayer that he models for us. So very simply, a perspective to be learned from and a prayer to be applied. So first, David's perspective. He writes in verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. The first thing we see here from David is a stunning confidence in the Lord. This is a stunning confidence that though the waters around him rise, The Lord will protect him and keep him safe. If all of us are honest, just reading verses 1 through 3, recognizing that probably none of us have ever had literal enemies surrounding our homes, and probably none of us have had had literal armies marching towards us seeking our destruction, though we haven't had that, thinking back upon even the greatest struggles that maybe you have felt over the last six months, of, 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 of situations where, where it seemed like your, your detriment or your harm or your embarrassment or your shame were inevitable to come around the corner, you probably could resonate with David's awareness of the situation. And yet you find yourself likely saying, David, I'll, I'll take a dose of your perspective in this situation. And so as David, how is his understanding and his perspective of this reality of all that is coming against him, how is it met with such unbelievable confidence in God? David saying repeatedly, verse 1, Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? Well, we find the answer in verse 4. And what we find is that David's hope is not ground in some... Uh, uh, self-confidence where he's trying to build himself up. You are strong. You are king. You are mighty. You can do this. You killed Goliath as a young boy. You're the best one in, in all of Israel with a slingshot. You can do this. The people love you. You're rich. You're wealthy. All of these things are going to help you. No, David recognizes, and what we ought to recognize, first and foremost, our hope in the midst of hard relationships around us, even when it's only our perception, and we feel like we are letting everyone down and we cannot... Uh, measure up before them our hope in the midst of hard relationships is not found in ourselves but in our god look at david verse four one thing have i asked of the lord pause right here if you were going to make a request of god if you're going to make a request as armies surrounded you as 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 enemies uh, sought to eat up your flesh what would your request be Probably would not be what David requested in verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now that's a prayer. That is a, as a, that is a desire. That is an ambition of the heart to be admired and to be pursued you see what we find about david in his perspective is that he realizes he realizes that what he understands about reality is different than the world around him understands about reality and so where we might not be able to resonate with david and how he, how he uh, approaches these circumstances with great confidence we can resonate with David as Christians, with as ones who have hope in the same God as David. And so the question that we ask ourselves is not, "Will I muster up the confidence to do this?" But the question is, "Will I muster up? Will will I hope in the same God of David?" You know, hoping in God is a strange term. It's a strange phrase. It's just, um, uh, it's just. Uh, uh, Vague enough that we can all say, well, I hope in God. But hope in God takes various forms, right? Hope in God requires something unique of us when we are in a situation at school and we feel all alone or even ashamed of those that see us around us. Hope in God takes a different form when you're laid off from the job or when you get the terrible diagnosis. Or hope in God takes a different form when your child or your grandchild takes a departure in life and in the decisions that they are making, or even their health gets a terrible diagnosis. Hope in God takes a different form when we're placed in different circumstances. Yet what we see from David here is that David's reality is shaped by awareness of the access that he has to his God. And this is access that we share as Christians through Christ who sits at the right hand of God the Father now. And so David's prayer, recognizing that the state of his soul is of greater importance at this moment than the safety of his life. Let me say that again. David recognizing that the state of his soul is of greater importance than the security of his life says and prays that he may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And then read on in verse 5. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. I've already made a few confessions to you guys today. I'm going to make another one. My son just turned three, and I am already terrified of the day that I put him on the school bus to go to kindergarten. I, I, I imagine that that day, I will probably set a record for prayers that are voiced in a, how long is a school day? Eight hour time period. I'll probably be pretty useless that day, maybe not. I don't know. but I'm naturally an emotional, sentimental guy, and I just I, 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 that day just scares me. But one thing that scares me about it, that I have to remind myself of, is that I get scared about it, or I fear it, knowing I'm going to put him on a bus, and I am not going to be able to go with him. It's going to be on his own in one sense. But what David teaches us here in Psalm 27 is that that is not how it functions for us as worshipers of God. See, we think that is. Our minds, our, our, our minds can believe the lies that God, yes, he has saved us, and yet somehow he still is not with us. And yet what David presents for us is the one who worships and fears God. Look at verses 5 and 6. What does David say? David doesn't say, I will find the shelter. I will hide under a rock. No, David says in recounting of his praise to God and of of, of his awareness of God's greatness and his might over him, he says, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. If your understanding of Christianity, dear brother or sister, dear Christian, if your understanding of what it means to follow Christ is to have some sort of intellectual acknowledgement of a of of a catalog of facts. I believe God created the world. I believe God um, uh, is, as he is revealed in scripture. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that I will be with him one day in heaven. If, 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 if your, if your understanding of what it means to know God is to know these truths, then in one sense, you're right on the money. But in another sense, you are woefully missing the boat. To follow Christ is not just to embrace a set of intellectual truths, but to follow Christ is to know that Christ is with you. To know that the presence and the power of God is at work in you. To know that He will lift your head up when you fall. To know that where you feel hurt, where you feel shame, where you feel embarrassment, where you feel uh, 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 loneliness, to know the fact that God is with you, that God is near to you, and you know that through His Word and hopefully by the Spirit of God reminding you of these truths. And so for us as Christians, we can take confidence that in Christ, God will hide us in the shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And then look down at the middle of verse 6, and I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Do you see in verses 4 through 6 all these different descriptions of where God is? You see verse 4, His house, His temple, shelter, a tent, a rock, a tent. I think that these... Various descriptions all serve to ultimately give us the picture that we cannot escape out of the presence of God. Or perhaps said another way, and perhaps a way that some of us need to hear this today, nothing can take you, dear Christian, out of the hand of God. And you see where David's confidence is that God will hide me in his shelter, he will conceal me, he will lift me high upon a rock, And then he responds in verse 6, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices, and I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Sometimes it's hard to sing. Not hard to sing like you're a bad singer, like I am, but, but it's hard to sing because your heart does not feel it. There's a strange understanding, there's a strange dynamic in the Christian life where I just warned you probably about two and a half minutes ago about intellectual knowledge alone being what you think it means to be a Christian, apart from life change where the Spirit of God is at work and dwelling within you. But also, there's a truth here that we must see where intellectual knowledge of the truths of who God is and what He has done are the very strength by which sometimes we get out of bed in the morning. I heard a Pastor Alistair Begg one time talk about how uh, how he went to a church service one morning, and it was very early. Maybe it was a church that had multiple services. And if you're like me, when I was growing up, my family went to a church that had two services. And the first one was at eight fifteen in the morning, and we always went to the eight fifteen service. And and that that is terror to a teenager. Um, and and I would I would be dragging through it sometimes. And um, Alistair Begg's writing about this, and he's like, "Ah, oh, I haven't had my coffee." And this is a pastor saying this, so pastors deal with this too, guys, okay? Uh, uh, he's saying, I hadn't had my coffee. I'm, I'm, I'm angry. I'm, 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 the weather's not cooperating. And I get up there and the worship leader says, hey, how's everybody feeling today? Kind of expecting everyone to say, I'm feeling great. And Alistair Begg says, he says, the problem is so many of us enter into worship week by week and we aren't feeling great. So then we have the option. We either put on a mask and we either hide what we are truly feeling Or we believe the lie that Christianity is not for or doesn't have anything for those who are downtrodden, those who are fearful, those who are are, are, uh, riddled with anxiety. Or we understand the truth that though my feelings in the morning or in the month or in the year may be slow to follow, the knowledge of who God is and what God has done is the means by which I keep putting one foot in front of the other day by day. And so you may feel as if you cannot sing to God. Your heart doesn't have it in you. Your heart doesn't have it in you to pray. Well, maybe your hope would be to read verses 1 through 6 and be reminded of the hope that you have in God by virtue not of what you have done or not of your circumstances, but of who, who He is and what He has done for us. And He has done this chiefly and triumphantly in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. So there's a perspective whereby we hope in the Lord, no matter what harms be coming about, even at the hands of those who would seek our destruction. But perspective isn't all there is. You say, okay, Stephen, how do I get to that perspective? Well, David gives us a prayer in verses 7 through 14. David says something outright audacious in verse 7. You might not see it, or maybe you do. Verse 7, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. There's an exclamation point there. That's not the audacious part. Maybe it's a little audacious. But for those of you that are familiar with your Old Testaments, do you remember in Deuteronomy, in the Shema, uh, 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 part of the covenant that God made with his people, it's announced, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. And then the, 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 the terms and the conditions of the covenant between God and his people are established. David here, in saying, Hear, O Lord. He is appealing to the promises of God. He is saying, Enemies surround me on every side. But if God is who he says he is, and if his promises are as sure as his word says they are, then I will appeal to To the promises of God. When last did you do that? When last did you have the boldness to appeal to the promises of God in your prayers? So, oftentimes, the the, the tone and the condition of our prayers is one of which we are either A, making requests to a butler to bring us things. Or B, we are talking to a dear friend and we're just unloading all of our problems upon them. But actually, one thing that David shows us, not that there aren't elements of those where we pray and we petition God for needs that we experience in life, or where we can unload our feelings and our hurts and our griefs and our sorrows before God, we can do all of those things. But one aspect of prayer that is often neglected, yet is, I think, one of the most beneficial, one of the most needy aspects of prayer in all of our souls is the means by which we cry out to God to keep his promises. And not the means by which we cry out to him to keep his promises for the, for the sake of the safety and the security of our lives, but for the means by which we cry out to him to ensure and to guard and to keep our souls from departing, from trusting in him. David's prayer is one of honesty. Another insight that I realized, another way in which I'm convicted as I walked through this passage. How often do I pray for the Lord to make his presence known to me? How often do I cry out for the Lord, Lord, reveal your face to me? Let me let me see you again in your word in power and in beauty or how often am i casual towards it how often do i do i believe even the lie that the promises of god maybe apply for people outside of myself and not for me as much but how often do i seek the blessings of god but not the god who gives us the blessings This is not a prayer that we pray when the bills are running low and we need an infusion of money and we're not going to know where it's coming from. This is not a prayer that we pray when our health is declining and we're not ready to go yet or we're not ready to say goodbye to a loved one and so we pray that God would turn around whatever is ailing us. Not that we can't pray for those things. We should pray for those things. You see, David's ambition here He doesn't mention his own safety. He mentions his own desire to see his God. He mentions his own heart and the need by which he knows that his heart will survive the waves of the enemies that are trying to destroy him, not because of confidence that will come through himself and what he can do to defeat them, but because he will know that his God has set him apart as his own and he will not forsake him. And the greatest thing that any of us need when we are taking our petitions and our requests before God, though they may be urgent and though they may be pressing, the greatest thing that any of us need is to know that our God is with us. Perhaps you look back upon unanswered prayers and you say, I don't know that he was with me then. And yet what David would say to us would be, call out to him. Cry out in reminder of the covenant that you have with him in Christ. But call out to him seeking him and finding rest in who he is and in his goodness. And not in what he can just do for you. God is not our butler; he is our Lord. But what we find when he is our Lord is that he is good and he can be trusted. So David's prayer can be broken into three three aspects here the first one we just saw is God I need to see I want to see I want to dwell in your presence next he prays for God to guide him down a path teach verse 11 teach me your way O Lord and lead me on a level path because of my enemies give me not up to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence David's prayer is not, Lord, help me one-up my enemies. David's prayer is not, Lord, help me to own my enemies. Lord, teach me your way. There are times I get the really, I don't, I don't want to say harsh, but, but the, the, the email that's just awaiting a response. Or the phone message that's just awaiting a response. Or, or the thing, whatever it might be for you, that just, that just causes your blood to boil. And you think, all right, how am I going to put this one in their place? How am I going to rise up to the moment? It's time for, time for Stephen to, to own them again. To, to, to show them that they are in the wrong and to point out the error of their ways and to put them in their place. Maybe you do that with your spouse. And it leads to discord in the home. Maybe you're the kind of person you just have to always be right. But what what David says, what he models for us in his prayer, is a prayer of humility. Lord, these people are seeking my destruction. Teach me how to walk in your path. Huh? (laughs) Lord, they're seeking my destruction. Teach me how to walk in your path. I read a quote this week. I can't remember who said it. But... The quote was, so many of us have accepted that we want to go to heaven when we die. But the problem is, we have a hard time wanting to experience heaven here and give up on earth here. And what the guy was getting at is, we trust God for our eternity, but we don't trust God so much for our obedience to him and our trust in him today. Where it's the inclination of the human heart to strike back at those who strike us. David says, God, I want to know another way. I want to know the way of entrusting myself to you. This is the way of heaven. This is the way of God, whereby we are preparing ourselves for heaven in worshiping and entrusting our lives to him, knowing that he has our very needs at heart. And this is modeled most clearly and most faithfully in our Lord Jesus Christ. Where he prayed in that garden, Lord, if there be another way, let it be. But not my will, but yours. And he surrendered his soul to go to that cross. He surrendered his his life to go to that cross. He gave himself up to the will of his adversaries. He gave himself up to the false witnesses that rose against him. He gave himself up to those who breathed out violence against him. And by virtue of him doing this, he uh, died for our sins and he was raised again that we who look upon him in faith and belief can find in him life anew. Whereby our hearts that at one time may have seemed very off to be able to have a heart that just desired God, now our hearts have a switch that is turned on whereby God is the great reward and the great joy of our souls through Christ. And so this is a prayer. Lord, teach me the way of Christ, but teach me to know by virtue of what Christ has done that the way of obedience to you, the way of humbly entrusting myself to you, of not writing back the snarky response, of not yelling back at the one yelling at me, of of, of of, of, of seeking um, restoration of the relationship and not revenge in the relationship, the way of entrusting hard situations and hard people and, 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 and uh, even areas in which where I carry my own embarrassment and my own shame, entrusting those to God, the way of that is the way that ends at the destination of Christ. But don't take David's word for it. Or don't take my word for it, take David's word for it. He concludes with the promise of verses 13 and 14 where he says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. We lash out at others because we don't think anyone else will protect or defend us we have to defend ourselves David tells us to wait for the Lord being strong and letting your heart take courage is being strong and letting your heart take trust in God trust that he sees trust that he knows trust that he will act and trust that you will see him The hope that we have whenever we are surrounded by difficult relationships that bring about great pain for us. The hope that we have when we are surrounded by difficult circumstances that, bring, that could bring about great sorrow upon us. The hope that we have when we are undone by the seemingly falling apart of the life that we once had wanted is a hope in a God who gives us a different life. A life where his goal for us is not success in this world. His goal for us is not safety in this world. His goal for us is satisfaction in him. For when our hearts find their rest in him, then our hearts understand how to navigate this life knowing that His Spirit is at work within us, that His face is ready to shine upon us, and that this is so because He has sent His Son to both reign over us and to redeem us. And so may we be a people In a world that does not struggle with anger. And in a world where everyone is out to get one another. May we be in people who embrace a different reality and recognize that the greatest one that could get us, the devil and sin and death, has already been defeated. Therefore, we can hope in God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we believe that we will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So Lord, help us to wait for you, to be strong and take courage, not because of ourselves, but because of you. And we will only do this when our eyes are set clearly and intently upon the risen Christ our Redeemer and our Lord. It is in Him that we pray and it is in Him that we hope and it is His face that we shall see one day. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.